welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. What's up, everybody? Knock On Podcast. I think it's 203. I could be wrong. Sounds like a good number. I'll just go 203. I've got some kangaroo lover here sitting in my <laughs> dojo right now. What? I just put my phone. I just lectured Adam to turn his phone off, and I put mine on airplane mode, and I'm already getting messages in. That's Stealth. Handy. Someone's flying under the radar. <laughs> Cheers, dude. Cheers, man. You got some. Well, obviously, that's a Yeti cup. My worst nightmare is dropping my tumbler off my tree in stand, the tree stand? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hitting like it's every ladder rung yeah, it's on the way down sound, yeah. it would sound like freaking church masses in service yeah i've started <laughs> stuffing mine in my pack <laughs> yeah between I'm the all, layer of clothing i've had a few times where i've spun around like hit my release on it it's like ding ding what about rattling antlers? Like, you can bash away on antlers, but when you go to reach them, you're not allowed to let them touch each other <laughs> yeah. or it's the end of the world. It's I've like, done that too. <laughs> yeah, I'll grab my rattling horns. I'm trying to undo the strap, and it's like, and you're like, oh. It's like the game operation. <laughs> but then a second later, you're crashing them together exactly. and making your knuckles it, bleed. It doesn't make sense. Oh, cold mornings and just jamming the very end of your thumb on, <laughs> <laughs> on like the eye guard. Like, cut them off, cut them off. Yeah, I've got one set of rattling antlers that I've used for probably 10 or 15 years mm-hmm. now. And th- I know exactly how they go together, how to avoid my knuckles. Your hands. Does your, um, normally this time of year, my forearms are like just constantly sore from just, just rattling grinding and grinding. Yeah, yeah. And then grabbing just grabbing the tree stand steps so yeah. hard like when you're going yeah. up because i'm just always afraid of slipping and falling mm. have you noticed yeah that i too? have 100 percent. yeah and you, you don't even think about it because it's just such a little activity yeah you and know, you're like how are my up. forearms pumped from yeah. climbing up and down a tree like once or twice yeah. a day and yeah. then rattling a little bit yeah and well it's important my buddy um one of my good friends that's mm. done a lot for Sharon and I, uh, fell out of his tree stand yesterday and he was three quarters of the way down. He literally fell from the second set of sticks. Mm. So, I mean, he couldn't have been more than 10 feet ten off the feet. ground, yeah. fell straight onto his back and he had his video camera in his, in his fanny pack and it, he's, uh, right now he's in, um, the... ICU having his uh, back fused together. All right, that's He's, scary. Um, so once again, everyone out there, don't be stupid. Make sure you're safe all the way through. Mm. I'm I'm starving. I gotta eat something. <laughs> so everyone's putting up with that wrapper. I, I think these lifelines where you're attached the whole way up and down should be mandatory. Yeah, hundred percent the way to go. I would love it if every single tree or situation could have a ladder mm. with a lifeline. Yeah. Especially with family. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just so stressed out when Sharon and Harry go out and we're ever in a tree stand yep. or going somewhere we re- where we don't know. Mm. And they're like, go to this tree, mm. you know, telling us how to get there. And then you get there and there isn't one. Yeah. You were telling me a story last night about going to an outfitter's tree stands and they'll just really dodgy right so it's like <laughs> most you know, of them are there's something that you haven't set up yourself so it's the unknown you know like is that yeah. in a bit of rotten tree you know that that step or whatever you know when did they change the straps out last you know maybe they're corroded i've had pegs just snap off because they look you know er, uh, adam found an old arrow down by one of the targets and the field point looks like like an old freaking pirate like ship from, from the back. <laughs> <World War I. laughs> yeah. And it's just corrosion. And some people, they'll they'll buy tree pegs, they'll leave them in trees for 10 years, and then yeah. they'll, like, beat them out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And get them out, and then they'll put them in a new set. Another one. And you're, like, climbing a tree with, you know, this thing that's yeah. rusted halfway through, and it's just, it's you don't know. It's risk. Yeah. Mm-mm. Spend the extra money and get some new ones. We were down in Oklahoma and went to hunt a stand that uh, I didn't hang. 
and we went down in there and I started looking and I just we ended up burning the whole hunt because by the time we got in there it was kind of borderline on mm. whether or not it was too late but to get to another spot a few miles away wasn't going to happen and I just looked at Sharon and I'm like we can either sit on the ground and take our chances or we can just mm. like go for a little stalk back and she's like yeah I'd rather do that because yeah. both Sharon and I have both fallen out of trees mm. and it's not good yeah yeah pretty scary yeah high up and I think the other thing is you're so keen to hunt that a lot of times you'll just take that risk like ah oh, stuff it i'll just use it anyway like i just it's one hunt. brand yeah you know, it's one it's limb i yeah, gotta climb over yeah it. the hunting you know it sort of pushes you into it but it's just it's just not worth it because you might get the hunt again so what's your what's your stance on whitetail thumbs up or thumbs down thumbs i mean thumbs up 100 percent. yeah well you like can't I've go thumbs said down it, or they'll you like run you out of the country yeah i'm being honest i've though. heard i've read into conversations where hunters have said you know there's no skill involved or you know it's, if you sit hunting it's not hunting at all i had one of those not long ago i'm like yeah. you don't understand there's a hell mad skill involved mm -hmm. to sit there with those patients you know to work out that there is a payoff possibly at the end of this if you're patient if you're still if you keep at it you know um so i love it but i did i made a post and i'm like 12 steps to boredom like and i'm climbing <laughs> up the stairs i got hated on for that it was a full joke and uh there's th there's a mind game involved that doesn't come with any other sort of hunting yeah you know to sit there in the cold you know you possibly you're miserable but you just you know you stick to it you know and i think um well my last podcast i talked about i have three different release aids each release aid brings a different fundamental to mm. the table and when they're all mastered they all complement each other mm -hmm. so i really feel like my style of whitetail hunting which is just almost it's not boredom to me, but it's just motionless mm. patience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, motionless patience yeah. for very long periods of time and a mindset that allows me to do that. Because I'm so comfortable with that, like when we were in Lanai and mm. we were, like, going in on a stock, there's a lot of times where you get there and, like, the buck bed's down or the buck, you know, you don't. And people will rush through that moment Ooh. because they're like, I don't want to have to sit here all day till it stands up yeah, or yeah, yeah. whereas once I get to that point, I'm like checkmate yes, game over sweet. sucker. When it's coming down to like, who's going to outweigh who, Yeah, this is, you know, me waiting three, four hours for you is nothing yeah, compared yeah. to waiting 40 hours for a buck, exactly, yeah, you yeah. know, in November time. Yeah. So that's funny. Cause I had, there was uh like six, six stags and uh hind, I'll call them by there proper names yeah <laughs> six stags and their hinds and they come in and i was like perfect they're walking straight towards me and then they lay down well once they lay down i'm like i've got like two or three hours to slowly make my way to the position that i want wait yeah. for them to stand up and that's that day that i killed the two of them yep. you know both out of that one herd and the foul the big fallows that you got no the in, when we we're in lanai oh yeah yeah, yeah yep and um so that was awesome and yeah, I I love I love when something lays down because then you've got time. You know, it's not moving. It's not going to feed off or whatever. You know. Yeah. So. I think so many people get to that moment and then they want to like make it happen. Mm. And there's times where you may have to. Yeah, yeah. But there's also times where to really understand like a good chess player to where even though they know how that whole board mm. is already laying, yeah. you know, they know the game's over, yeah. but they're also just methodically waiting for you to make that one move that lets yeah, them yeah, yeah. do what they know they need to do to like slit the throat. Mm. Yeah. And it's whitetail hunting. Well, that's one thing I do love about whitetail hunting. There seems to be a much greater cat and mouse game you're not just sort of wandering around and like you bump one you're like oh that would, that's big enough i'll shoot it you know mm -hmm. it's like you s the, f the full setup you know mm -hmm. it's that whole trickery that you do and put in play and that setting of the cameras and blind positions reading the wind before you even get there you're you're already like oh, i can't sit that stand because <laughs> yeah. the wind's wrong you know i love that I days love that. ahead yeah days ahead yeah you know i'm like i told you when sharon and i uh literally packed up 
and just drove 10 hours to be in a stand in Oklahoma, mm. it was literally looking at a, at a three-day wind forecast. And I'm sitting there going, okay, with this wind here, I've got, I'm limited to this farm or this farm or this stand or this stand. I don't really have bucks that I know about mm. there. However, I've got like, I've got Intel that something that I would want to shoot mm. is in this region and I've got a setup that plays and now I can at least play mm. and it's not a game like the odds are in my favor. It's not, you know, it's not a guarantee, but the odds are better in my favor, favor there. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's kind of move. Yeah. And that's, what's fun. We, we talked last night about, um, we were driving up to one of the places that I hunt here and you were saying what I would love about becoming a whitetail hunter is everything that goes in before the hunt. Prior, yeah. And I said, yeah, that's what a lot of people don't factor in when mm. they see me, you know, maybe only hunt a few days here at home and I've killed a big buck. What they don't realize is I've probably waited 20, 30 days mm. for the perfect time to strike but I've also put in hundreds of hours prepping everything yeah. to where that buck is yeah. comfortable. It's just not the 12 hours sitting in the stand yeah. that day. Yeah. yeah, you're yeah. you're building all the habitat so they have comfort. Then you're building the food source so they're not mm. leaving. And then, you know, you're building, you're, you're pretty much building security mm. by not being there enough to where you're known, mm. but just enough to where you have information. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's an awesome conservation model because when you build that habitat and food plots, you're not just feeding whitetail. Obviously, there's all sorts of oh, wildlife that yep. are coming in and moving in and and you know breeding and surviving. Well, the other day when Sharon and I went out, it was pretty cool because when I first moved to Iowa, I never I saw an occasional pheasant, I saw rabbits, mm. but now it's like rabbits all the time, all the time, and then pheasants very common. Mm. Um, two years ago, I saw quail for the first time. Now I've got like several coveys of quail. And then now because there's quail, yesterday when I was hunting, or two days ago when I was hunting with Sharon, we saw we saw a really good buck, but he was too far to shoot. And then, um, then all of a sudden I looked down the road and I'm like, I can see something's legs coming up through the cedars. Mm. And I was trying to focus and then I realized it's a it was a big tom bobcat. Oh, Like awesome. a really cool one. He came up and he... You know, he was just all kind of slinkered down, mm. and he was just scanning that turnip patch to mm. see if he could see, like, any quail or yeah, doves yeah. or turkeys That's or, so you cool. know, and I thought, this is, you know, li we've literally taken, and what's neat about that place is where we were sitting is where I killed that uh, buck that I called the veteran buck, and it's only, like, 10 acres, mm. and there's about a one-acre food plot. It's only like 70 yards from the road, but there's a pond there. There's, you know, native grasses planted all the way around it, and then there's a little bit of a cedar thicket. So there's it's almost this little ecosystem. And now to see deer, mm. you know, pheasants, some rabbits, you see some turkeys in mm. there, and now a bobcat, it's like you're you're building this whole little ecosystem yeah. just off turning dirt, putting seed in the ground, yeah. you know, letting it grow and being doing obsessed, the things like being um, obsessed with whitetail. That's what's done. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. They are fun. Oh, they're so fun. There's something beautiful about sitting up off the ground or just in a blind full stop and having something completely unaware. You know, just it's doing exactly what it what it does, you know, completely unaware, you know. Yeah. There's something awesome about that. And when a big one comes in, like I just like I like I it depends what it is, but I get an adrenaline rush, you know, fairly frequently when I'm hunting game. But when I was sitting in that stand on that last buck that come in, like mm -hmm. it was uncontrollable. Like even when I first seen it coming <laughs> across the field, like it just kicked in, you know. And I think it's because of all that long waiting periods with nothing and then it's just like like it feels like a million to one, mm -hmm. you know. Like, could this be really it is. happening? You know, it's it, like a Powerball. Yeah. It's like winning Powerball. Yeah. When you see something four hundred yards out there, and you think this thing can go any ninety-nine percent of the mm. directions it goes, it won't be a shot for me. And yeah. then all of a sudden, for you to see them 
go across the field, turn back, yeah. just miss your wind by yeah, 20 yeah, yards, yeah. loop back around, freaking come through and go behind the one thing that you can pull your bow back on. Yeah. You're like, th- this was like What's the a, a winning yeah, a lottery yeah. ticket. Yeah. You know, it's there's yeah. no other way that all those pieces could could play yeah. out to where that one moment happens. And, and you know, if you've you know played your cards right, because a lot of people say there's a lot of luck involved but the truth is if you played all your cards right and put everything in you know line how you did and then that buck comes past and you kill it there's really no luck in that yeah like you set the stand there knowing that was a good spot you know whether it's a trail or a scrape or food plot you put all that in line you know and you sit it in the right wind yeah then the buck comes past and you kill it i'm sorry there's no luck in that that was full preparation Mm -hmm. you know but it feels like luck, you know, mm. they're like that one in the million, you know. So, and just um, shooting down on some games, so cool. Yeah. You know, like that's, yeah. I've I've thought about hunting elk that way early season, mm. like doing a, doing like a Western hunt early on water where you almost hunt them like you would whitetail. Yep. And I think it would be productive to mm. just play that patience game, mm. especially in areas where there's droughts. And you've got yep. the ability to just wait them out, but I don't know. It's it's like elk hunting is a board game, mm-hmm. you know, and then whitetail hunting is a board game, mule deer hunting is a board game, pronghorn hunting is a board yeah. game, and it's like I love playing all those games. Yeah, but I like the fact they all have their own set of rules. Yeah, they've that's all right. got their own pieces. Yeah, they've got their own map. They've yeah. got you know, there's there's a totally different strategy yeah. to each one of those things and that's why it's just an ongoing debate you know mm. which one's better yeah yeah exactly yeah this morning i woke up and i'm i i woke up thinking um i woke up thinking well i don't have to go get in a stand this morning mm. you know so i started thinking in a way my whitetail season's over because i don't get another whitetail tag until december mm-hmm. so i was Sitting there thinking, well, okay, whitetail season's out of the game. And then I thought, well, shit, it's really not that far until elk starts again. Yeah. I literally woke up thinking, I'm I'm leaving to elk hunt every year, August 24th, to go yeah. up to Alberta. And then I thought, by the time it's rut, mm. it's only te- it's less than 10 months. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And we're like yeah. back into just, you know. And mm. so then I started thinking which one do I really like better? Do I like what I did in the last three weeks or do I like when elk is just mm. in its moment? And it's like, I like them so much equally, but the only thing I'm weighing out is fun factor of the chase and the run and gun and then putting a big bull down mm. or like the chess game of whitetail hunting. Mm. It's, it's, it's just it's hard they're, because yeah, they're 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 both so different as well. So that's why it's that's why I find I can never pick something that I love more. You know, whether it's buffalo, elk, you know, whitetail now. But there's there's certain animals that click with me. And I'm like I'm doing that every year. Mm-hmm. You know, like since the first time I hunted elk, I do it every year. First time I hunted buffalo, I do it every year. Mm-hmm. First time I hunted New Zealand, I do it every year. Now I've hunted whitetail. You know, uh, I hunted them seven years ago in Montana, but it was just a different sort of hunt. It was spot and stalk, and and then I never got, I couldn't get a tag there again. It was really difficult to get a tag. Mm-hmm. But now that I've done this real Midwestern sort of whitetail hunting, it's like I love them. I'm obsessed with them. I love yeah. how different each of them are as well. It's like no two bucks are the same. You know? yeah. It's like our fellow deer, no two bucks are the same. You know, the, the antler combination, the look, the everything, you know. Well, even their demeanors, mm. you know, the, it seems like with whitetail hunting, because everything's so still, a lot of times you're observing for a long time mm. before they get to you. So you're like seeing their interaction with the other deer. Yeah. And, or you see how they interact with your calling. Yep. And you just realize, you know, their, their natural demeanor and like personality, they vary so much. Like you can see one that just looks like he should just be the beast of the woods, mm. but he's super timid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though he's just, the biggest rack there yeah you literally touch horns together and boom he's gone because yeah. he just he doesn't want any part of a fight he's yeah, just yeah yeah he's just him own self you know he likes being on his own he doesn't want to get in the middle of all that but yeah. then all of a sudden you get one that's 
you know, just this tight little eight point and you mm. freaking hit the horns and it's just like he comes he's, he's like, I'm here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's what's fun too, is yeah. I don't think with elk, at least me personally, because you're never really seeing it seems like because their home range is so much bigger, you're not interacting with that same bull mm-hmm. all the time or the or the same harem to yep. where you're you're like learning those personalities. Yeah. Whereas here a lot of whitetails will will range within a certain area to where especially if you um are hunting throughout three months and you're low pressure you might see that deer several different times Mm. so you like start to understand what their personality type is i had this buck that i hunted for i think three or four years never killed him i called him demolition because the very first time I hunted my farm here, I was in the stand, and I just saw these bucks. They were kind of around me, but they were, you know, I could see them, but they weren't, like, coming. And then all of a sudden, one would venture in, and then it'd turn and go out. And I didn't realize what was happening was I finally looked over my shoulder, and in the CRP behind me, there was just this little pocket of probably about three to four acres of woods and right dead in the middle of it was this buck that I called Demolition. And he was he was an awesome mm. deer. But he just had a doe in there. And he was just like sitting in there. The does would literally come to him. He would tend them in that little patch. And he would just pivot around and just walk circles around them until it was time for them to be bred. And sometimes he would do it for a day. And the bucks that would come in to try to get in there and he would just destroy every Mm. single one of them but as soon as i would call to that deer he would immediately just beeline two to three hundred yards downwind to me and button hook like over the course of several years there were several times where i'm like there's demo and i would you know grunt at him and he'd look and i could see him he'd bristle up and then immediately he would think wind check and he'd freaking just pull a full detour Mm. and then sometimes um if i rattled to him he ended up learning like the sound of my horns Mm. i think he knew that like what that pitch was Mm. so he just like he had me and i I never killed him because i just tried to communicate with him too many times to where he like he was educated he, he knew who it was yeah and he was uh he was literally 30 yards across the fence on the neighbors and that was his domain and he didn't venture out of it and for years i i would see him come from i don't know where in the summertime Mm. but he would come there for the two weeks of rut and he would just be in that patch and every now and then there wouldn't be a doe that would come in he would Mm. like literally as soon as he'd breed a doe a few times he would bomb out he'd just disappear Mm. off into the crp and then all of a sudden he'd come back just pushing one and he'd get it right back into that spot and he would just sit there and just tender and just walk circles around her and anything that tried to get into his little bedroom he just destroyed yeah yeah i saw like i saw him tear up 18 bucks in one day there one time and i mean anything that came in left limping that's why i called him their rot habits that's yeah. so appealing mm-hmm. as a hunter. You know, the scraping, you know, the the preaching, the rubbing their scent glands together, the yep. sc- you know, everything they do, it's just really appealing. You know, I, I think that's why White Tower registers so well with so many hunters, mm-hmm. you know, is because of what they do, you know. That, and you you said you, you get to sort of, you get to have a look at them, you get to watch them and get to know a deer, you know. And I love their bluff tactics. Like, that's something that I've really picked up on. Like, a doe will walk in. She's got no idea that I'm there. Yeah. But she'll look in a certain way that it's like, shit, she smelt me. Yeah. She knows I'm here. Yeah. And then that, she then she just walks, and then she'll do those bluff tactics yeah. again, you know. And I've noticed a few of them that sort of walk around, and then they'll look up. They're like, they do that head thing when they start mm-hmm. looking. I was like... Why are you looking in the trees for? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Predators are supposed to be on the ground, but they're educated. They know, you know, they're, they're, they're a wise animal. That's know. one of the tough parts about hunting public land or hunting, like, outfitter spots. Mm. A lot of times when I'd go to a white fitters, uh, outfitter's place for whitetail, I would often just say, you know, do you have a problem with me throwing up my own set? Because 
You when you get in a tree and there's old cigarette butts in there or some wrappers <laughs> jammed in the seat, you're like, someone could be in here that doesn't understand the sensitivity of a whitetail. Mm. And maybe they saw a buck and the wind was completely wrong, but they grunted at it. And yeah. then it looked at them and it circled a little bit, caught their wind. You know, two times like that. And then yeah, ev educated. then every buck there that's mature is almost like demo was mm. with me. As smart as I thought I was being with that buck, he, w I mean, they don't get that size because they're dumb. dumb yeah. And he knew me, you know. So that's what I told you on a lot of my places. I rarely, rarely ever hunt the same, like, tree mm. twice. During certain times of year when deer are moving a lot to where I don't feel like I'm seeing the same pattern of movement every day, I might hunt the same place back to back mm -hmm. but you know especially if there's a hot doe in there but typically i bounce mm -hmm. you know i just bounce around because i don't want them to get to the point where if they come in and they're like looking at that tree just to yeah. see that's not a good position to be in you don't yeah. you don't want to be in that in that set yeah exactly yeah yeah that's smart for keeping an area good obviously my um that tree smasher buck that i shot he Actually, I saw him, I think, four days before I got him, and he was very dominant, making scrapes, lick branches, mm -hmm. pushing does, breeding does, fighting, and then trashing trees. Like, you know, he'd be waiting on a doe, just he'd be tending a doe, and she'd be eating, and he'd just smash a tree. Well, the day that I shot him, he actually came walking out of public. And as he's coming, he was, like, limping pretty bad. Mm. And I'm like, what is going on? And then when he turned sideways, I could see that he had dried blood all down his front. Did I show you that? No, no. Someone had shot him that morning, but hit him high right above the shoulder blades. Mm. Like, missed the spine, but shot, like, right through the front tip of the I back straps where, yep. it, where it stops behind the top of the yep. shoulder blades just punched him right through there and he had literally perfect holes out both sides and he was still like trying to fight just, he was yeah. still going i mean he yeah. was in just, just full just, zone just an antler time mm -hmm. might as well have just been an antler time that punched him yeah. yeah and then i saw actually this year i've saw the first buck i shot um the first buck i shot had been sh had been hit by a uh either a car or a shotgun slug through his front leg. His whole front elbow was completely um, fused together into a solid, like, bone mass. I about, like, a little bit bigger than this coffee cup, but yeah. taller. It was, like, that tall. So he couldn't even bend his front arm. Like, even in my pictures, his arm had to Sticking be completely <laughs> straight. <laughs> I was going to show you. And then, um, so, yeah, he was... Um, he was pretty, pretty jacked up. Um, and then let's see here. I'm trying to show Adam a picture. Go through my phone mess here. You can see it in that picture right there. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy, jacked, huh? Big time. It's almost like he took a slug just right mm, through the knee. Beautiful buck. And uh, so then the next one that I... Um, well, here's, so this is my, that's my screen grab of my shot mm. on my buck. Yep. But. Oh, yeah, yeah, I look think, at the blood I think, going down there. I think that's where it came out, yep. but it went in about that height on the other side. Yeah, just in front of the lung. If you seen him running away with that hole as a hunter. Yeah, you'd, you'd be, be like, he's done. He's done. I but tell the you, nothing's done until it's. Whitetails are tough. Yep. They're tough, tough suckers. And they're, from what I've been told, um, their ability to clot blood mm. is among the best is that, yeah. Yeah, of animals. So with whitetails, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but you know you can double lung one and they go and pile up, but even by the time you're field dressing them, yeah. it's just like globs of yeah. almost like liver. Yeah. Like it almost looks like the yeah. liver, but it's Congeal just blood. Yeah. Mm. Whereas, you know, with, like, my elk or, like, an antelope, they're still, like, very pooly. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Have you noticed yeah, that? Yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. And I guess it's just, 
you know, I don't know if it's a difference in yeah, you know, it probably is blood cells or whatever, but yep. it uh, they clot like mm. really, really easy. Mm. So they seal up, you know, they just seal yeah. up. And I think I've shot whitetails where when I when I'm caping them down, I realize, man, here's like two old arrow holes. Yeah, and sometimes. Sometimes I won't open the seal. If I'm able to just get them up in the air, yep. I'll peel the hide, mm -hmm. and I'll just break them apart and then throw the whole cavity out, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But in that case, I ended up opening up the seal, and I pulled the, the guts out, and there was a piece of an arrow shaft, um, aluminum arrow mm -hmm. shaft that was fused in a lung, yep. the top of a lung, and it was just, like, calloused mm -hmm. in there. And, like, the top third of the lung was black, mm. but, like, it's almost like it was in a certain part to where a bottom portion of the lobe could still function. Still go, yeah. And and the deer was going. Yeah. You know. I, uh, yeah. How strong animals are. Because we always think, like, if I got shot through one lung, I'm... I'm laying down. <laughs> I'm laying down. Yeah. Take me to hospital. But a, an animal through one lung, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, they just continued life as normal. Um, the amount of deer that we've shot and, like, one antler on one side is deformed, it's like that opposite lung yeah. or an injury on the opposite side, it ends up throwing a bad antler on the other side. Most of them are living off one lung, mm -hmm. you know, and I've seen a few deer shot now, particularly deer and pigs as well mm -hmm. where they're shot one lung and an hour later they're fighting another deer or running around trying to you know mate a doe or something like that it's just nothing yeah you know they'll insane. keep going a lot of times it'll kill them in the end mm. you know once it fills up and kind of mm. turns black and it'll kill them in the long run mm. but yeah there's certainly a time where they're they're just they're in a hormone rush that they have no control on, yeah. you know? Yeah, just like robots with y the on switch switched <laughs> on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or or being in the military where they're just giving you full-blown adrenaline <laughs> injections, just like, yeah. get out there, yeah. no sleep. Yeah. <laughs> My buddy shot a fellow deer buck. It was a couple of years ago now, and it was right towards, like, the rut had pretty much ended. Anyway, there's this buck grunting, and it's just, like, constant. Like, it's not like on a timer, and we're heading into it, stalking it. And we get in there, and there's a couple of other bucks chasing these does around. And he, this buck was literally putting its head down to feed, and then it would just grunt. Like, it was like on automatic. It would go to feed. It wouldn't even get grass in its yeah. mouth. And then it'd be... Yeah. And then put its head down again, like, to feed, and then head back up. Just, and standing on the spot, just, gr like, I yeah. mean, 20, 30 minutes while we're right in front of it. But it's been going for weeks doing this. Yeah. And it was... It was stinking, like it just pissed, rutted all over itself. <laughs> yeah. It was just skin and bones. It looked like a greyhound. Yeah. You know, these deer, and I imagine these whitetail are the same, they go from being this beautiful, filled-out animal, you know, that oh, for yeah. months and months just concentrated on feeding, and then by the end of it, they look like a greyhound. Ribs are sticking out, stinking, rotten. They've hardly fed. They've hardly drunk. Like, they're just possessed, absolutely possessed. But there's something so appealing about hunting them when they're like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. My, uh, I th the best time to shoot a, if you want to shoot a whitetail to where they're like in all their glory, it's got to be, you know, within the first few days of November. Mm. If you shoot a buck around like Halloween time, yeah, they're just, the capes are pretty, the necks are just fully freaking yeah. blown out. They're just at their peak. Mm. But like my buck that I shot, that tree smasher, he probably, he looked like he had dropped a lot of weight just in four days separation yeah. of when I saw him. Yeah. Because he was just going so hard. And this year, the conditions have been so right for mm. them to move all day and all night. Sometimes this time of year, it's hot mm. and they'll lay down. They'll do a lot of moving more in the evening or at nighttime. But this year, the moon's been, like, really good for full daytime movement, and mm. the temperatures have been cold, you know, unseasonably cold mm. or cooler. And these deer can just go and yeah. go and go. And, I mean, I think I think right now, this year, you could see a deer at any time of the day. Yeah. Like, you know, any yeah. time of the day. They're just – they're moving. Yeah. And, and the bucks – the bucks um, – well – I saw that video that I posted of that buck that was licking that doe, like yeah, trying yeah. to get her fired up. Yeah. Um, Sharon and I saw him two nights ago, 
And as soon as I seen the brow tines coming, I go, here's that big six by five that I mm-hmm. passed. And I said, you should take him. She said, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I'll take him. And he comes up and he's missing one brow tine now and he's missing a big G3. So he's already banged off two and he's just got like hair missing all over his body. His back end is just like he has a front end, but his back end is just slendered right up. Like there's no belly anymore. Mm. Like he's just, he's probably running himself down 20 pounds. I wonder how many kill their cells in the rut, especially when the conditions are so perfect that they're going so hard. Yeah, because I know it's afterwards. Like the yeah. scary part is when they're going this hard now. Um, we have a big hits. storm coming, yeah. so if if we have like a real big harsh winter that mm-hmm. hits, and there's not like food for them, yeah. that's when it gets hard. Yeah, you know that's when it gets hard. That's when I notice a fellow deer dying off in winter when, you know, especially if we're in a bit of a drought. If they've gone really hard in the rut and mm-hmm. they're you know their guts are already sucked in and ribs sticking out then it's tough then you just start finding them dead yeah you know and uh, yeah i've seen a few killed in the rut from antler tines you know yeah then i've found a couple killed in the rut that don't there's no stabs or anything on them where i think they've just died of exhaustion oh yeah yeah um actually a good friend in australia dave whiting they come across a buck that was like just skin and bones and stinking that was thrashing a buck that was dead on the ground and the buck on the ground had been dead for like two or three days like it was already rotten away yeah and this other buck still thrashing it on the ground like (laughs) that obsessed like it's been dead for two days you can leave it alone now and just and it didn't want to leave the buck they walked straight up to it and it just wanted to keep bashing this buck on the ground yeah and that the buck that was alive itself was skin and bones you know it's like having someone just on full roid rage where they like someone (laughs) just like take these chap take these yeah Yeah. take this take 10 of these take five of these next thing you know they're like not monitoring anything and they're just on full like ballistic mode yeah i um that's that's actually one of the reasons why i'm a big advocate of supplementation for my deer Mm. i'm not i'm not big on baiting i don't you know i don't i'm not big on like baiting or hunting over bait Mm -hmm. um and fortunately here in iowa you can't bait Mm -hmm. and you know you have to have like everything has to be gone so what i do um i supplement my deer and as soon as season's over i start supplementing and um You'll see I tag a company called Garland Animal Wellness. They make a really good pellet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll put I'll start putting that out in like bulk feeders, you know, just big bulk protein feeders. And it's, you know, it's like volunteer, but yeah. the amount of, it's funny the the animals that go there, they're the ones that are just, you can tell they're just they starving yeah. to like, to just get themselves back mm-hmm. to a sustainable level to where they can start venturing out and finding their own food and browsing Mm. more. But I think it's, I think it's imperative. And some people that love their whitetail and they manage their whitetail, they, they kind of supplement during certain times of the year where they're doing it more for baiting versus if you really want to do something positive for like your herd management, like give them nutrition when that they have to have it to to pass Mm -hmm. yeah and and if you go out and you're checking trail cameras late season you're like oh man that buck made it but like you said you can see ribs you can see he's dodgy like those are the times where it's like get get some type of supplementation out there Mm -hmm. for them to where at least they can you know come up to like an easy salad bar and just like plow down some calories because they need it otherwise you end up losing them yeah. every year i have that every year i drive around my place and i'll find a buck dead and they'll be like gosh Shit. dang yeah. and it's and you can tell they they just they start to get that thoroughbred look where they have their same size on their front end and yeah. then they just slender, slender right back, back to yeah. where their back legs are just almost bone yeah. and they're just bony back there it's it's not good. The the instincts in them that drives them must be so strong and powerful to run them to death. You know, yeah. like it runs them to death. Yeah. 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 It's also what makes them so appealing. You know, they're just that obsessed, you know, crazy. Well, what's crazy is you'll get a deer um, where you know he's there. 
you know, you get a picture of them in August or something like that. And then for three, four years, you hunt and never see, Mm. never see that deer in daylight ever, ever, ever. And then Mm. all of a sudden one day, like there it is. And you get that shot. One of the bucks I posted, um, the other day was from several years ago and Mm. it was a buck that, I got a picture and thought, man, that's a freaking shooter, no question. And then for years, never, ever saw that deer. And then all of a sudden, it was like November 21st or something. Mm. I'm like, it was a morning where I woke up. I felt like one of those bucks. Mm. I was shattered. And it was, I looked at the forecast. It was supposed to just be pouring, freezing rain. And I looked at the forecast and it was a Sunday. Sharon goes, just take one day. And I'm like, I don't know. I said, maybe I should. I said, maybe I'll hunt harder (laughs) if I'm like mentally in it. And she's like, she's like, you really need it. I think you need it. So I'm like, okay. And I kind (laughs) of, I put my head back on the pillow. And then truthfully, the reason I opened my eyes back up again is because the day before I had hunted over a decoy. And I remember in that spot, I took my decoy um, out of the ground and I laid it down like where nothing could see it in the tall grass and um, my decoys are all full they're like full mounted mm-hmm. whitetails so they're hair on like oh you're kidding <laughs> me yeah yeah so I, I woke up thinking oh shit I'm gonna ruin that decoy if it if yeah, yeah. if it's in the rain so I thought I've got to go out and if nothing else I'll hunt until I can either go out and take a tarp and like cover it or as soon as it gets nasty i'll just come in Mm. and then kind of come back for the afternoon so that was you know i ended up getting up and she's like you're gonna go and i go yeah but i won't go out too long and then i sat there and it was like an hour went by and then it was like two hours and then i was just like (laughs) it doesn't really get good till 10 and then i'm like (laughs) normally 11 is the magic hour and so i'm sitting there and i mean i hadn't seen nothing and then all of a sudden like 11 15 all of a sudden here comes these does just come out of this corner of this field and they're crossing the back end of the field they're not even feeding and then all of a sudden i could see just this old hobbler just coming Mm. up from the back and it was just a buck it was the buck i mean it was this one that i wanted and he got out there and the wind was perfect. His wind was blowing right at me and I grunted at him and I could see his one ear, like he was looking at the doe, but his one ear turned mm. like a hundred yards back to mm. me. And I thought, okay, he heard me and he kind of went a few more times. And then I just went like, like really, you know, and then he just like put the brakes on and I could see kind of like was thinking about like, do I want to do this one more time? Mm. And then all of a sudden his ears just like laid back a little bit and he just like his hair just came up on his back and he freaking turned and I'm like, it's done. And I, and with the wind in my face, I'm like, it's, it's done. And, uh, he came, he pretty much came at me. And as soon as he got about 50 yards from me, he started to button hook around to try to get my wind. And I knew what he was doing. So, um, that was the, I put that video on my Instagram. It's the one where Harry went with me on the recovery. It's a really big 10. Mm-hmm. But, uh, as soon as he button hooked around me, I'm like, I got to kill him before he hits my wind yeah. line. So I shot him at like 52 and he piled up and I called Sharon. I'm like, come out here, bring Harry. Oh, that's cool. And, and sure enough, I got up to him. I'm like, that's freaking crabby. It's yeah. like, you know, couldn't believe it. Yeah. I had, had never seen the buck. And then yeah. here I am. On the one day where I'm mentally <laughs> shackered, yeah, I'm just shot, yeah. and that's the one day that he yeah. comes by at like eleven something in the morning. It's a hard game, eh? I think I did a um, two weeks in Kentucky, and never, never had a shooter buck near me stand for the two weeks. Yeah, and then we'll sort of in overtime, we're like, I'm not going, I'm just staying, and then just had a nice because I'd only shot one other white tail yeah. before then, and then just had a nice eight that come in. And, you know, it's that, it was at that point where I'm like, it's not happening. You know, it's like you start doubting it, you know, it's not happening. And next minute, here comes this eight, you know. And, and then it's over. Exactly. And it's you're like, sitting there and you're like, yeah, what 
Well, everything else you forget about. Yeah, but that 99% of nothing and then that 1% of something, so freaking worth it. The 1% yeah. outweighs it oh, so it's much. so good. And then in Illinois, like, that was just, that was, like, proper rut action where it was just hounding a doe, grunting out of the whole way across this field, zigzagged every direction across the field that said it was never going to come to me. And then she just walked straight under the stand and he come through. And I just remember how aggressive he even looked towards her. Yeah. You know, like, um, she'd stop and he'd walk up to where she'd stopped and then she'd walk off, but then he'd stand there and just like, like, what'd you move for, bitch? <laughs> yeah. Bitch, why'd you move? Like, full, like, the yeah. most pissed off look. And then he'd walk a bit and do the, you know, the little grunts under yeah. his breath, you know, and then, and I just remember there was one little tree in the open paddock, like a little shrub, and I'd range that one you know a dozen times because it was such a point to remember yeah and it was 25 yards and i'm not joking he stood perfectly broadside <laughs> right beside it at 25 yards and uh there were so many other ways that could have went and then he only ran 20 30 yards and piled up dead and I'm, you sent me a photo of white belly you, you just labeled it white belly and it's yeah. like you see a white belly sitting <laughs> out there and i just remember that's exactly how my buck fell over and died i could just see the white belly it's and so just, distinct on a white tail yeah like when they're tipped over you can you're like the white belly yeah like the that's, white belly, that's yeah. the best feeling seeing yeah. that it was so freaking good because illinois was the same i just never ever had a buck near the stand you mm -hmm. know i've seen a couple off in the distance in nine or ten day ten days or whatever it was and and then that was it. And then this thing just comes perfectly straight under the stand. Yep. Yeah, that was cool. And that the Illinois was better because I was setting my own cameras, my own stands. I was going out and checking them. I was looking for the scrapes, the yep. better trails. I was looking for all that. Like I felt like it was, I was much more involved in the game. Yeah. When I was in Kentucky, I was with an outfitter, which was brilliant, awesome outfitter. But I'm sitting in someone else's stand. I'm using someone else's knowledge. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you you, you want to experience all that? You want to do all that? That's yeah. what makes the kill feel better? Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a fine line. I tell people when they book a hunt and they go with an outfitter, it's like the first thing you have to do is trust your guide. Mm. Um, because sometimes they'll, they'll do something that goes 100% against what you would want to mm. do. And it produces because yeah. they just like, especially like Western ranchers, they just like see the patterns so yeah. much. Like I've had times even for antelope where they're like, you know, I, I think, I'm, I think you should put your blind right here. And you're like, this is the dumbest place, <laughs> you know? And, and they're like, well, they, you know, the antelope really like to come through here, you know, once a day. And you're thinking, nah, I want to be by the water hole. I would rather be out in that alfalfa. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, sure, it's heck, you know, yeah, here's a freaking the biggest one just yeah. comes walking by with this whole harem. And you're like, yeah wow, this was needle in a haystack, yeah, yeah. you know, but some, so sometimes you need to trust them. Yeah. But sometimes. Well, this fella, this guy, George knew all, cause he had, he might have 20 farms that he's got the leases mm -hmm. on and he knew the wind for, I, I didn't, I couldn't understand how he would know the wind for every single stand without looking at it on the map. Like he knew, and he might have 60 stands. Yeah. And he was like, "Oh no, you'll hunt this one tomorrow without even looking." Yeah, he just knew that knew the land and where they were placed so well, you know. Yeah, in some of those areas, the thermals are even though the wind direction outside is mm. one way, like the the natural thermals are constant. Yeah, you know, in some of those, like I didn't know, depending on where you're at, did you have a bunch of up and down, yep. cool, like yep. real big, you know, oak timber and yeah. stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, and some of those areas regardless of what the wind direction's doing it seems like it's always constant on some of those ridges yeah, yeah like it's drawing back or something uh, like yeah. that yeah yeah well dude we could talk forever i know i know i was thinking oh, i appreciate you decking my bow out yeah you guys are on your way to texas gonna hook up with our buddy sloan which uh you'll have fun down there yeah you're gonna go Nuts. chase some texas whitetails and um yeah you got your rx3 dialed in now yeah that's sweet appreciate that and i just yeah i love always love catching up with you and talking to you <laughs> and sharon well this is your it's first cool. time ever coming here it too. is yeah yeah i'm glad we were here yeah the way when you guys came by you were you would you yeah. were leaving at 3 a.m i think the next morning the drive you to were, Oklahoma. yeah you were passing it like yeah. nine at night or ten yeah, at night something like that 
And I said, well, we're getting up in five hours to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to go south, <laughs> like yeah, catch yeah. you on the, on, on your way back by. And then luckily, um, luckily I've had success here to where now I'm mm. kind of home for a few days and, you know, we're going to f- go out a little bit for sharing, but I need to, I got to start getting target bows going. I mm-hmm. mean, for me, it, this, this kind of gets into the time of year where I do a lot of, you know, I try to do a lot of teaching as people are coming off their deer seasons. I like to really get people back into the range and start to ingrain good habits mm. because even with myself, you know, when you're getting up, going out, maybe shooting one arrow by your truck before you go out to your stand and then you end up hunting all day and mm. then you come back in the dark, like you're not getting the reps and stuff that you are, that you are during yeah, the off 100%. season. So you just, you like start to lose your edge. Mm. So speaking of edge, you remember that? Oh the, yeah. <laughs> no one knows they're coming yet. Don't they? Nope. I'm like, what's that sexy little knock-on black box there? Yeah. And then I, I opened it up, and I'm like, whoa. Yep. Yeah, we've got uh, the the knives that I was working on. I told people I was going to work on knives. So um, we've got a knife set that will be coming out here, I think, maybe next week or the week after. Mm. They've shipped. but uh, That's freaking sweet. Call them the Checkmate series uh, just because that's kind of a term I like. And uh, there's two. One's a, a knife that I made that's really, really functional. Um, we're calling it the Queen uh, because it's got curves, but it'll leave you gutted. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then you've got the the Bishop there. This is really a multi knife when you think about the shape. Yeah, that one. I don't think anyone's making a knife like that. But I would. I would debone big time with that. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the, it's going to be a two-pack um, set. One is really made for gutting, caping, and then the other one is just your workhorse. It's just meant for... Well, that's just an awesome camp knife as well, I Oh, sure. yeah. Yeah, you could whittle some good um, shish kebab sticks with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so... I'm kind of excited about that i like working we originally this knife started much smaller but uh what happened was as i was in elk camp and using the 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 straight knife um i've realized that on like bigger animals like elk you just couldn't you want get the all the way yeah. to the bone you know yep. when you were like pulling apart rear quarters yeah what and about that, de-jawing the skull too and you sort of got to get right in behind that yeah. socket or even on a big elk when you got to decap it, you yeah. know, to just like go in and mm-hmm. go full scale around, uh, works awesome. And then both of them have, uh, have little finger loops so that, that you don't have slippage, you mm-hmm. know, that's the thing when your hands, you know, sometimes you get in there and you get like all that tallow on you yep. and it's just yep. like so slick. Yep. It's nice to be able to, uh, to especially with sliding this, down and running your fingers off. Yeah, with this mm. tool hole, and you can you can grab it a couple different ways so mm. that you're always like going through. But it's, uh, yeah, I I hate having it slip. That's just a yeah, major and a good thing. solid pouch too, which is handy. Uh, like yesterday when we we're looking at it, and I was trying to flick it out on the ground, <laughs> that won't come out. Yeah. So or rattle. Yeah, yep. that's the other problem too if you're hunting. Well, dude, you're gonna tear it up yep you've got a few well how much more time you got two i don't go home till uh february middle of february or a little bit later are you going after the western show then yeah i'll do the great western expo and then head home slightly after that yeah it'd be pretty cool are you gonna do are you going to do any, like, family activities during the, once it comes winter? you guys going to hit some yeah, like, ski slopes or we're something? We're going to spend a fair bit of time in Utah. And uh, I, I know Noah, my middle child, wants to do a bit of snowboarding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. I'll probably break something, so I probably <laughs> won't. But he wants to do that. But just because, like, we don't really have snow in Australia. Oh, yeah. You know, where it's like... You have got it. Yeah, we have got it. There's been times where I'm... I see a picture and I'm like, damn. Yeah. Like, that looks it's legit. It's sort of only in one spot, though. So we don't get there. And we've always wanted to have a white Christmas. Yeah. Like, Christmas in Australia is singlet, 
shorts, <laughs> pair of thongs, <laughs> cooking Singlet. outside on the barbecue and going to the beach for a swim. Yep. Where you, like and but every like Christmas movie you watch or whatever, it's like in the snow and stuff like that. So yeah, we just wanted to have a white Christmas. The kids will freaking love it. Yeah, they'll, they'll love it for about ten minutes, and then they'll complain that it's too cold, and <laughs> we want to go If you can back. get where there's snow and it's not like miserably frigid, mm. then it's good. Because sometimes there's areas like a lot of times on the ski hills, the snow is insulation, mm. so the temperature is mild. Yeah, yeah. And there's good snow, whereas here, you know, it might be like zero with snow, yeah. and the snow's almost dried out because yeah. it's so cold. That's freezing. that's like boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that's yeah. when I'm like, I want to go to my buddy Andy's house and and get where there's just big fluffy yeah, snow yeah, and insulation nice. on the ground, and you know you wipe out in a big old snowbank and it just you know it's a little wet, good. but yeah, that's yeah. it. You know. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we've been talking about a boat, a name for this bow, and then I was saying we should call it the Drifter. I think Drifter's I, good. I don't really, I don't have anywhere at the moment. Like we <laughs> rent, we rented like our it. house out in Australia. We're traveling around in a trailer. So and I just, yeah, I don't know. Nowhere, nowhere's really home. I just love the whole freaking world. Yeah, I think uh, Drifter's a good name. You need to get a sticker on there or take a marker and write on there, we'll hunt for food. (laughs) (laughs) We'll hunt for food and accommodation. Yeah, I've been everywhere, which is cool. So, yeah, thanks for having us in your house, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Um, It's not the best time of year to be able to grill out. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did... I did wait two days for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I know. Last Which night was we triggered a delicious. Yeah, we had a massive spread last night. Yeah. I wish I would have got better pictures of the f- the feast on the table. We were just too concerned <laughs> with eating. That um, the you turkey in, was I'm freaking like, brilliant. Sit down. I mean, yeah, exactly, right now. Yeah. But that elk neck that you slowly cooked, dude, that's bomb. Yeah, yeah. People, people miss out on. I'm going to try, um, I haven't really eaten tongue before. Mm. That's going to be the next thing that I want to do. Yeah, yeah. I've heard from several people that it's really good. Yeah, I've eaten ox tongue years and years ago. and Was it done right or yeah, did it was you really good. because you're in no, the field? No, no, it was <laughs> really good, yeah. It was actually really good. The other thing that I ate years ago was um, a Serbian family. It might be a traditional sort of meal in Serbia, but... Um, they cooked the whole bull's head, mm. the whole cow's head. Yeah. They cooked it, and I was thinking disgusting because I was thinking about, you know, the nasal cavity and just the thought of it <laughs> yeah. doesn't sound good. To eat it was delicious, dude. Yeah. It was beautiful. But it, those sorts of things have to be done right. Yeah. Otherwise, you're never going to eat them again. I was with Sloan down in Louisiana, um, and I forget uh, – I forget what kind of fish it was, but the outfitter we were with cooked um, these fish jaws. Mm. And I forget which fish it was, but it was literally like the fish heads. And he triggered them. Yeah. And it was like the jowls. Oh, yeah. And holy yeah. cow, was awesome. it. It was like better than the filet by far. Yeah. It was like hearty meat. It was like big chunks of meat. Yeah. You know, it was like it was almost like getting a real good lobster where the claw just mm. has like a big yeah, bulk yeah, amount yeah. of meat in there where you're not like picking around everything. Yeah. And it was dynamite. And I thought, man, this is, this is actually better for me than mm. the fillets that were out there. This was like, you know, I could take heartier bites of it. Yeah. It's funny when people do it the right way on some of those little things that the neck meat that I did was just a accident. I mean, I just like, I kind of just get to the point where I challenge myself and think, how could I cook this thing? And I'm not, mm. I have no cooking background at all. Yeah. It's just based off. Because usually I, you just sausage the neck, right? You yep. don't, you'd mince it. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. As soon as you get to the neck, you're like hamburger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I took, that was one quarter of an elk neck. It was, you know, literally from the shoulder to the halfway point on, you know, on one quarter of, yep. of the neck. And then. I literally have this huge cast iron skillet. I seared it on both sides in grass-fed butter, and then I put it in a a steel pot and put uh, a cup of bone broth in there and a bunch of, like, same type of seasonings you'd use on prime rib, garlic and rosemary and um, salt and pepper. And then I just wrapped the lid really tight with aluminum foil so Mm. the moisture couldn't escape. And then I cooked it at, uh, I think, like 200. 15 degrees or 220 degrees for 
18 hours mm. and then I take it out and I use like some, they're called bear claws, little plastic claws. And I just shredded it all apart. It just falls apart. A lot of times you can do it two forks. Mm. Then I put it back into that sauce. And while I was shredding it, I took um, a bunch of peppers and stuff and, and smoked them on the Traeger for about 20 minutes. And then I sliced all those up after I smoked them, put them in there. And then I put in um, about half a bottle of the Texas spicy barbecue sauce and mm. then put the lid back on it and put it in there to <laughs> like <laughs> slow cook for <laughs> about. you making me hungry, dude. Yeah. Yeah, we we pounded some food last night. We I need to go eat now. I feel like we should have breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, need breakfast. Awesome. I'm used to fasting. 11.04, this is about the time I bust open a pack of that off the grid. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> what we were talking about last night. The OG trail mix. Oh, that's so good. The new, um, the new cashew and blueberry one. I haven't is, had that one. It's like crack. You really? Yeah. I've never had crack, but if it <laughs> tasted like wal- like cashews and blueberries, I guess I'd probably try it. <laughs> you try it. Uh, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you, man. All right, dude. Thank you. Black Rifle, thank you. See you guys. Have a good one. See you. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com. <laughs>